Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campy Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those fun questions for us to talk about and you tip to support the channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered. So I gather them up and we address them here on companion videos. And it is Thursday night, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we did, uh, we had a great show this morning, had a lot of fun. Listen, I tell you, it's been a long time since uh, I've had as much fun as I've had doing the shows with uh, Kim and Ray lately. I mean, there's just, again, it's a different energy when it's in the room. You know, the kind of fun I would have in the room with like John Schnepp or uh, Dennis Zen or, or Christian Harloff or, or Robert Meyer Burnett or, you know, whatever. It's it's always fun being in the same room. And I'm, I've been having a blast doing it in the same room with those guys. So anyway... It's been a lot of fun. I should let you guys know, uh, Ann and I decided to take off for the weekend. So we're going to go out uh, for the long weekend. We're going to actually leave tonight. We're going to head out of town tonight. So there's not going to be a regular John Campia show tomorrow. There will be a video going up this weekend, but there's not going to be a regular John Campia show tomorrow. So you guys who are watching this companion video will be the first ones to know. All right. With that down, guys, let's get on to the questions that we need to get caught up on, shall we? We're going to start getting caught up with DNA, who writes... Hey, John, Kim, and Ray, who those two aren't here right now, obviously. Who should play the Emperor for Dune? I don't care. I mean, I'll read the rest of your question in a second, but just, you know, I don't care. I don't do X actor and X roles. As long as they get a good actor, that's all I care about. All right. Uh, who should play the Emperor for Dune? Can a comedian ever be taken seriously and transform into such a role? Uh, is it possible to see Seth Rogen, Danny McBride, or Will, Fer or Will Ferrell being cast? Can you see any other comedians play the role? Well, I mean, I, I don't know about any of those guys, but look, comedians, it's rare. It is rare. But comedians have made that transition before. I mean, Tom Hanks, everybody forgets he was a comedian. He did nothing but comedy. And then all of a sudden he does Philadelphia. And now he's like one of the most respected dramatic actors in the world. Adam Sandler uh, has won awards for his acting. He's been able, especially when you look at something like Uncut Gems and things like that, he's been able to make that transition. Uh, Jim Carrey, to a degree, was able to make that transition, although he's gone back into the comedy thing. And that's where I think he's more comfortable. But it's rare, though. It's rare. Uh, Jonah Hill. I mean, I don't know that Jonah Hill was ever a stand-up comedian. I don't know if he was. I, I just don't know. But he's always, he was known as the ha-ha the funny comedian guy. But, you know, he's got two Academy Award nominations now. And they just announced today he's going to do that movie with Martin Scorsese. So can it happen? Sure. Could it be any one of those particular guys? I mean, Will Ferrell's done a good drama before, too. So it's possible. It's possible. I don't know if I see any of them as the emperor. But, yeah, you never know. All right, next up. We've got Spencer Flashboy Nielsen who writes, I think the hooded goblin shot in the latest Spider-Man trailer points to a redemption arc for Norman, similar to that of Harry's in Spider-Man 3. In that trilogy, his mask is the personification of his goblin persona. So I can see him losing the mask, but using his resources to aid Peter against the other villains. P.S. The fandom footage of The Flash did nothing but heighten my worries that the Batman movie called The Flash is going to have a Batman overshadow the title character. Well, I, I don't think it will. I don't think Michael Keaton's going to be in that much of the movie, but um, I mean, that's it's possible. I mean, look, the thing about Norm, about uh, Goblin, I should say, is I, I point to the fact that we're probably going to see Doc Ock is actually a good guy in this movie because 
I mean, that's kind of how he was ending. He was kind of had his uh, his own Darth Vader redemption moment at the end of Spider-Man 2. And the fact that when we see that big rush where Spider-Man and two other invisible Spider-Men are rushing in against Sandman, Electro, and Lizard, we don't see Doc Ock. Well, we don't see Goblin there either. So that's a possibility. I'm not going to count it out, but so that is a possibility, Spencer. All right, next up, we got Tupac fan who writes, Hey, John. Uh, you also say no one dies in the Marvel comics. So anyone could pop up from an alternative universe in No Way Home, and we still got Doctor Strange. To think we all thought Wanda was going to cause the multiverse problems a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I everybody, including me. When Kevin Feige mentioned that WandaVision is going to kind of tie in, in in a story arc with Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, we all thought, me especially, that the multiverse problem was going to originate in WandaVision. Well, that didn't happen, which I was a little bit surprised about. But uh, now we know where it does originate, right here in Spider-Man No Way Home, and apparently Peter's the cause of it, so that's going to be interesting. All right, Uh, James L. writes, When Strange says he can't stop them all, it's after the Spider-Man finally fight scene and story done. Notice Cap Shield and All Fallen Off Liberty Statue. Then random Marvel characters show up for Multiverse of Madness. Movie ends, uh, building up business for Doctor Strange 2. Could be, I mean, it could be that when we see, first of all, for all we know, that shot in the trailer, when Doctor Strange says, they're all coming and I can't stop it. For all we know, that happens in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, But John, it's dark when he says that. Well, yes, it can be dark many times in a movie. I mean, not all movies happen in just 24 hours, right? There could be many dark scenes. So, I mean, look, do I think that's closer to the end of the movie? Yes. But we have to understand that Doctor Strange scene could literally happen in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie for all we know. That's not likely, but it's possible. Um, I don't mind your idea, though, that they close off this movie with the direct conflict with Electro, Lizard, Sandman, and they resolve their Doc Ock stuff and whatever Goblin stuff there is. But that's not the end of the movie. There's a bigger problem that's still being dealt with, and maybe that becomes the gateway that leans it. Like, I'm okay with leaving that open-ended as long as they bring the story of Spider-Man No Way Home to a close. It's okay if you leave the ending that leads into Doctor Strange 2 open, but the stuff with... Doc Ock, Electro, stuff like that. As long as you bring that story to a close, then it's all good. So we'll see how they handle that, James. All right, next up. Uh, Renee21 writes, I personally think that Doc Ock will team up with Tom because Electro says, uh, you're not taking this from me, implying that he still hates Spider-Man in general and attacks Doc Ock. I mean, that was my theory as soon as the trailer played. Actually, even before that, because we've talked a lot on this show about the fact that, don't forget, Doc Ock had his... Darth Vader redemption moment in Spider-Man 2. And Alfred Molina was told by director John Watts that it's right at that moment, at his end in Spider-Man 2, that they pull him. So I could totally see him aligning with himself in Spider-Man in this one. Like maybe through all the confusion of what's going on, he, he gets into a fight with Peter when he first arrives, but then eventually they work together. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm saying I totally could see that happening, Renee. So I, I'm on board with you on that. All right, Eugene Reviews writes, 
Your speculations and theories are infectious, John. Kudos. Well, thank you so much. Remember, it's always fun to speculate. Just don't let speculation become expectation. That's when you get into trouble. All right. Um, kudos. Yes, I believe Garfield saves MJ. And I'll go so far as to say that Toby saves Ned as a redemption for not being able to save Harry in Spider-Man 3. Thoughts? Um, I don't know. They may give each of them that kind of moment. I mean, if... And again, we should still use the words if. If Toby and Peter are in this movie, which everybody on the planet believes they are, uh, but we still don't know for sure. If they are in the movie, you gotta have Andrew Garfield be the one to save MJ. And then you gotta give Toby that kind of a scene like that too. You gotta give them a moment. They can't just be there for the sake of being there. Give each of them a moment that feels satisfying for the audience too. So I like your theory on that, man. All right, next up. Interstellar Indigo Unico writes, John, did you guys ever see Space Cowboys? Kim, yes, because the NSYNC song was attached to it. Kimberly, you are delightful. Also, anyone want to call Ray Cousin Ray? I feel like everyone should have a Cousin Ray. Good to have you both. And I'm glad they'll they'll be very, very happy to hear that. Um, they have both been... Ray, well, listen, you guys have all loved Kim since I first started bringing her on, and I love having her in here full-time now. And Ray... Ray, I mean, obviously is my brother-in-law. Uh, Ray has worked with me ever since the beginning of the AMC days, but he is legitimately one of the most fun, funny people to be around. I mean, he's very nervous and shy on camera. That's why he doesn't talk very much during a show, right? Like he'll, he'll maybe chime in in the course of a two to three hour show. He'll chime in four or five times, which is extremely rare, but uh, I, I'm looking forward to him getting a little bit more comfortable being in the show because, and, and you know, he's not a movie expert. That's the thing. Like um, he's not replacing any of the other guests we've ever had. Ray is fulfilling a different kind of role. He is my full-time production guy. He also monitors the chat uh, and stuff like this. And he also comes from the perspective of an average movie fan, which I like, and he's just a fun guy to be around. So honestly for me, it makes it more fun doing the show with Ray in the room. And I think if I'm having more fun, I think it makes it a better show. So Anyway, yeah, you're right. He does feel like a cousin Ray to everybody, right? But for me, he's a, he's a brother-in-law Ray. All right, next up. We got Cody G who writes, Hey, John and crew. Been a while since we've heard anything about Andy Muschietti's live-action adaptation of Attack on Titan. Uh, Robert Pattinson and Tom Holland were spotted eating dinner with him last week. Is it possible they may be involved? Well, Andy Muschietti's a little busy right now, <laughs> right? He's a little busy. With a little comic book movie that's going on right now that they are currently working on. Listen, these people in the industry know each other. Uh, it is, I mean, every time so-and-so is spotted having drinks with so-and-so or whatever, everybody says, oh, they're going to do a movie together. Nine times out of ten, it's not. So is it possible? Sure. As possible as anybody else. But I would never say, oh, so-and-so was spotted hanging out with so-and-so, that means they're doing a big movie together. Possible? Yes. More times than not, it usually doesn't mean anything other than, hey, they happen to know each other, a mutual friend, so they go and hang out. I wouldn't read anything into it. Wouldn't read anything into it, but it's not impossible. Not impossible. All right, next up. 
Jay Bling writes, regarding this, oh, Jay, really more of the San Andreas stuff? Seriously? Anyway, regarding the San Andreas uh, sequel, uh, Alexandra Daddario, when last asked about it, said a draft for the movie had been written, but also said that the executive she spoke to about the sequel is no longer works at the studio. So take that as you will. Uh, point is, talk is cheap in Hollywood. San Andreas 1 already destroyed everything. The Rock is busy with countless other projects, and it's been years since the sequel was announced. I'll believe it's happening when it gets an official green light. Oh, no, no, that should, oh, listen, that should always be our attitude, that I'll believe it's happening once it gets a green light. Unless the movie's like a surprise billion-dollar movie, we our attitude should always be, I'll believe it. Now, as far as, you know, the executive she was talking to at the studio is no longer there. That is a very, very common thing in this business. Very common. One of the biggest hold, one of the reasons a lot of movies take three, four, five, six years to actually get made is because of the fact that there is such massive high turnover in executives at these studios because there's several layers, right? Now you got your top, top, top executives. But then you've got a big layer of VPs and EVPs underneath like the CEOs and the presidents. And that's where all most of the work happens. And with the turnover that happens there so often, what often happens is, and you hear a lot of Hollywood insiders tell the same kind of story. What will often happen is, you know, one executive is working on a thing is gone. The new executive comes in and like, screw it. That was their project. It's not my project. And then it gets shelved. And then maybe then that executive leaves. Another one comes in and says, hey, my previous executive shelled this thing. I'm going to show that I'm smarter and bring it back out, right? And so I'm not surprised to hear that at all. Not surprised to hear that at all. All right, next up. Dangerous D writes, hey, John, did you see the poster for the new Matrix movie? I haven't seen it yet. No, I haven't seen it. Uh, it shows Neo, who looks like uh, John Wick with a bad hangover, Trinity and new Morpheus, plus two new characters. To be honest, the poster didn't blow me away. It looked like a kid made this on his laptop. Yeah, I I have never cared that much about posters. Like, don't get me wrong. I appreciate a good poster as much as anybody. Like, I'll get excited about a good poster, but posters really don't mean anything. Like, the people who make the posters are not the people who made the movie. A poster will not make a movie better. A poster will not make a movie worse. A poster may affect your excitement for a movie, but it doesn't really ex affect my excitement for a movie much at all because I, I'm very aware. And the longer I do this, the more and more I'm aware and cognizant of the fact that the quality of a poster has absolutely nothing to do with the movie whatsoever. Like it ain't, um, it ain't Matt. Uh, I was going to say, I almost said Matt Reeves. It ain't Keanu Reeves who made that poster. It ain't the director of the movie who made that poster. It's a, Totally separate artist or agency that was hired to say, hey, make a poster for this movie of ours. And they make a poster. If it's the greatest poster ever, that's not going to make the movie one bit better. If it's the worst poster ever, it's not going to make the movie one bit worse. So I tend not to care about that stuff, to be honest with you. All right. Next up, some dude writes, do you think there is a market in selling early access screenings of movies to the wider audience at a premium price? Like, hey, anyone, uh, anyone come see the latest MCU movie one week early with a $50 premiere ticket. I'd eat that kind of stuff up. Well, honestly, no. And one of the reasons that I think no is because back when I was in, in the AMC days, even they experimented with that stuff and it, it went over like a lead balloon, like it failed badly. So I don't know if you remember this. And I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, um, this is one of the negative things of the fact that I don't read the questions over in advance because maybe I could have looked this up. But there was a service 
a number of the studios work together on where you can get this special box that can connect to your TV and that you could watch a movie early or when it was playing in theaters for a premium price. It was 50, 60, 70 bucks. I can't remember exactly what. And they did some testing of that and they, they put out a number of models and they tried to see how well, and apparently it like just was a disaster. And it, like I said, went over like a lead balloon. So while in theory, to me, it sounds like it could, the reality is they did test and it did. Now, listen, they could try a different incarnation at some point and maybe see uh, if that would work. However, where I could see it really biting them in the ass, where I could really see it biting them in the ass, is if you say, okay, if you're rich and you've got 80 bucks to spend on watching a movie two weeks early, well, what's going to happen is the people who then watch that movie, let, let's take Infinity War, for example. With today's social media environment, people are going to see the movie and then instantly start jumping on all the chat boards and Twitter and telling people everything that happens in the movie. And that, and now all you got all these people who can't afford to spend 80 bucks to just watch one movie, they're getting the movie spoiled for them by these other people who drop the money to watch it a week or two weeks early. And that could very much become a PR nightmare for studios as well, uh, depending. So I don't know. I mean, it's something they tried before and it didn't work, but that doesn't mean it can't be tried again and maybe find a better way to do it. I don't see it happening anytime soon, but they could try it again. All right, next up. A Frog and a Fart writes, John, what's the most disturbing film you've ever seen? Uh, you once, you once you've seen worse than The Human Centipede. Uh, what could truly be more disturbing? I'll tell you what disturbs me is stuff that feels real. Like stuff like the human centipede, is that completely gross and everything? Absolutely. Is it disturbing? Well, sure, but you know it's total fiction, right? You know it's total fiction. It's the same type of dynamic as when the most shocking, horrifying thing to me in a quiet place wasn't the monsters ripping people apart or a monster even killing the little boy. It's... Emily Blunt walking down a set of stairs and there's a nail sticking out of one of the stairs and you see it coming and she steps on the nail because that's real. That feels real. That can happen to me tomorrow. That can happen to me today. That stuff to me is the most disturbing. And so when I think of things that I find the most disturbing, it ain't anything in any horror movie or sci-fi thing or anything like that. It's it's something like like that that can really honestly happen to me tomorrow or, you know, uh, something based on real life that was like Schindler's List, man. Uh, Schindler's List. The opening scene of the storming of the beach in Saving Private Ryan that's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen because I'm watching something, a dramatization, yes, but a dramatization of something that really happened. And you're watching all these people die for beach. I mean, it just speaks to a lot of things. And it's just when you watch that stuff, the sort of sacrifice that people needed to make and that kind of, that, that's horrifying to me. That's horrifying to me. 
And again, things like Schindler's List, like that stuff is stuff that disturbs me more than the uh, more than the other stuff. Anyway, next up. Uh, let's see here. A spider named Aaron writes, uh, of course, Aaron Cummings is deathly afraid of spiders. Do you remember arachnophobia? Yes, I do. Uh, from the mid 1990s. I thought it was a fun, lighthearted horror film. It's too bad that it's been pretty much forgotten. Uh, do you think, uh, Aaron, uh, would like it? Yeah. Aaron, like I said, I took Aaron Cummings once to see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And in one scene, there's a little animated spider, just a little animated spider that jumps on Peter's hand and or of miles's hand and, and and bites him like in the classic spider-man tale and just when a little animated spider was on screen i thought she was going to tear my arm off like it was absolutely you it's i never i never thought for a second you could be that scared of an animated spider but there she is uh next up willow writes regarding the ethics of crowdfunding the way i see it it's up to the individual donors to decide I agree that rich people can fund their own projects, so I personally wouldn't donate to them, but I can't tell other people what to do with their money. No, and I agree. So where this is coming from is Willow, or somebody wrote in, it might have been Willow, might not have been, to ask how I feel about crowdfunding. And they gave the examples of like a John Schnepp versus somebody like a Zach Braff, who I'm a big fan of Zach Braff, by the way. I think the dude's awesome. But, you know, what I said at the time was, I love the idea of crowdfunding, for artists and creators who that's the only option they have to get a project made. You know, John Schnepp, when he made his great documentary, The Death of Superman Lives What Happened, he didn't have the money for that. There was no studio bankrolling it. The only reason that documentary was able to get made was because he was he went to the fan base and asked them to help, to help get it made. And they did crowdfunding, and that's why it got made. And he could never have done it without that crowdfunding. Never could have done it without it. Zach Braff, on the other hand, is a millionaire. A lot of the people involved with getting the, um, oh, what's the name of the one? Ah, oh, it's driving me crazy now. Oh, I got to look this up now. Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars uh, with Kristen Bell. I, tell you, I never watch Veronica Mars. That's why I don't. But they got that kind of relaunch of Veronica Mars, that movie, Veronica Mar Mars movie project they did. And they, they did it by getting it crowdfunded, but it, it was done by a bunch of people who have millions of dollars. And so what I said is, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I think crowdfunding is great for artists who really need that in order to get their project made. Whereas these people could have paid for it themselves. Instead, they got their fans to pay for it. And I, I don't know how I feel about that. Sometimes I feel like that's a little bit icky. Um, like sometimes a part of me feels like, hey, listen, if the fans want to support things, how about you let them support the things for people who can't afford to get it made? Like you can, you can afford to pay for this yourself. You can pay for this yourself. Why don't you pay for it? And and, and they don't. But at the other hand, I don't know. It's it got the projects made and the fans were happy. And you're right. I mean, I don't I don't feel bad about fans supporting it if that's what fans want to do. I just feel a little funny about a millionaire asking people who aren't millionaires to pay for their project. I don't know. It, it, again, I might feel totally, I don't feel like I don't have a hard line about that. I could feel totally different about that two weeks from now. I don't know, but yeah, I don't think it's an issue of, I don't think the fans should do The fans can do whatever they want to do. I'm a fan. I should be allowed to do whatever I want to do. It's just whether or not I feel good about 
millionaires asking fans to pay for things. I don't know. I don't know. I feel I feel a little bit weird about it, but maybe I'll feel okay about it next week. Good point to bring up, Willow. All right. Archangel6291 writes, Hey, John, Kim and Ray, and obviously Kim and Ray aren't here right now. Vincent D'Onofrio just retweeted a Hawkeye promo, and he's been heavily rumored to be in the show due to his connection to the Echo character. He kills her father. Do you think uh, he's teasing his return and entrance into the MCU, bring on the filthy? I tend not to ever form any opinion based on what somebody posts or retweets or likes on Twitter. Just just to be clear. I, I give no weight to just about anything, unless somebody is directly saying something. Like Vincent D'Onofrio gets on Twitter and says, I want to let everybody know, thank you for your support. I am returning as Wilson Fisk, and I will be returning in the Hawkeye series. Coming to Disney+. Plus." Like, yeah, then I pay attention to that sort of tweet. But I generally don't pay any attention or form any opinions based on what a celebrity liked retweeted, shared, whatever on Twitter. I just don't play that game. I just don't want to play that game. So if he's going to be in it, he's going to be in it. I I mean, that dude was born to play Wilson Fisk. Uh, If he's not, he's not, but I'm not going to base my opinions on something he does or doesn't share on, on Twitter, man. All right. Thanks for writing that in, dude. All right. Next up, Ronan writes, Hey, John, I still never understood the conclusion as to why Hulk was cut from Infinity War Wakanda scene, uh, even though he was in the trailers. Maybe they simply changed their minds in order to go with the Professor Hulk last minute. Still bugs me to this day. All right, Ronan, here's the thing. They did not cut Hulk out of the Wakandan battle scene. He was never in it. That shot in the trailer was specifically made for the trailer with the express intent of misleading the audience, of being a misdirect. You can't... Doing Professor Hulk is something that would take six months for them to do and cost millions of dollars. The Professor Hulk angle was not a last-second addition. And that was something well-planned. They never did have Hulk in that scene and then later removed him. That little bit in the trailer, they specifically made just for that two-second shot. That's what they did there. So, uh, I mean, hey, it confused a lot of people, man. It confused a lot of people. But yes, to be clear again, they did not remove Hulk from that scene. He was never in the scene. They created a fake shot to use in the trailer specifically to misdirect the audience and and keep them on their toes. So that's how they did that. All right. Thanks for writing it, Ronan. Next up, we got Rick Squire who writes, John. If you took a trip to Vegas and couldn't stay at Caesars, what would your two runner-ups be? This is obviously an unlikely occurrence. No, you'd be. I stay at a lot of hotels. Anyway, uh, plus, how much would someone have to pay you to stay at Circus Circus? Their steakhouse is great. Yeah, no, I walked into Circus Circus once. I won't ever be staying at Circus Circus. Um, first of all, the the folks at Caesars Entertainment in Vegas always treat me like a million bucks. Um. They, I, for whatever reason, they have me on their VIP list and I have a VIP rep at Caesars. And whenever I go into Las Vegas, they just treat me like a million bucks and they always make sure I have a fabulous time. Their facilities and resorts are second to none. Absolutely fabulous. And Caesars owns a lot of hotels in Vegas, a lot of hotels in Vegas, including like, uh, the Paris hotel, I believe Flamingo, they own, uh, the Rio they own um, they own Planet Hollywood. They own I, I, a bunch of the a bunch of the hotels in Vegas. They own. Now I do stay at Caesar's Palace a lot, but a couple of the other 
hotels I really do like staying at. Uh, number one is Planet Hollywood. I love staying at that hotel. That great casino. The only thing I do in a casino is play poker, but they have a really great high energy, fun environment casino. That's just a lot of fun to hang out with. And they got terrific restaurants and it's just a, gr- a lot of great memorabilia around. It's a great uh, hotel to be in. And once in a while, I like staying at um, Rio. I just, I don't know. It's an older hotel. They do not have the best rooms and thing, but there's something about Rio that just feels really comfortable to me. So I'd like to stay there too. But yeah, I'd say my number one is Caesar's Palace. Uh, and my number two is uh, is probably Planet Hollywood. I mean, there are other great hotels as well. But like I said, I like staying at, staying at Caesars places. So there's that. Thank you for asking, man. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Michael writes, John, what are the chances if Toby and Andrew are in Spider-Man No Way Home that we hear their prospective Spider-Man theme music? I absolutely love the theme uh, from Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies. I think it's pretty much 100%. I mean, I think that is a great question, Michael, that I don't think anybody's asking, but I think it is a hundred percent. Like I expect to hear when we see Michael Keaton's Batman in Flash, I expect to hear that, but like little notes from that original Michael, Michael Keaton, Batman movie. I fully, fully, fully expect to hear, and maybe not like now we pause for 30 seconds to play the theme music from the amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield. But to at least you'll will recognize notes. We'll recognize the like a five second bit. Will they'll play it? I think they'll definitely do that, Michael. All right, next up, uh, Barely Bunny writes, John. I think that's what he said. Yes, John. Uh, about the No Way Home trailer not showing Toby or Andrew. You say they need to show them to sell all the tickets. Well, to reference your biggest domestic opening movie, The Force Awakens, they didn't show Luke in a single trailer, and it made history. Completely irrelevant. Barley Bunny. I thought I said Barley Bunny. Uh, Barley Bunny. Completely irrelevant. Totally different situation. Number one, Luke was not in. Uh, (laughs) Luke was not in The Force Awakens. Two, there hadn't been a Star Wars movie in nearly 20 years. Star Wars was the biggest movie franchise of all time, and they hadn't had one in almost 20 years. The Force Awakens was the return, or uh, The Phantom Menace was the return of Star Wars. After nearly two decades. So, yeah, the opening weekend with a trailer that is probably the most significant and important movie trailer of all time. So, yeah, no, that's complete. See, a better example of that would be for The Force Awakens, where it's like this character you were wondering if it would return, Han Solo. Well, what did they do? Did they hide Han Solo from the trailers? No. They gave him that, Chewie, we're home. Right? They gave that. And it made literally people cry. People wept. Literally. You, you just go online, you see people's reactions to that trailer. People were crying when Han Solo came back on screen. Why? Because they didn't want to sell a lot of tickets. They wanted to sell all the tickets. And how much money? Let me just check this. Uh, let me just look this up for a second. The Force Awakens ended up making almost $250 million opening weekend. $250 million opening weekend. And dear heavens, that was six years ago. That was six years ago. It made $250 million opening weekend just about. And I guarantee you, it would not have made that much if it wasn't for the whole, we're home 
part in the trailer. I'm not saying it would have made $100 million less, but it would have been smaller than $248 million. It would have been smaller. If they want to sell not a lot of tickets, if they want to sell all the tickets, on November 29th, when tickets go on sale, you put out a third trailer and you put Andrew and Peter in that trailer. And it will sell all the tickets. All the tickets. Like ticketing websites crashing kind of tickets. The kind of thing that happened with Endgame and with Star Wars. That'll happen. It'll happen if they do that. So we'll find out if they do it or not. All right. Next up, Dr. Rumek writes, I was on late duty one night when they brought in a wounded pilot from one of the raids. He looked at me and said, the odds were against us up there. Oh, this is uh, this is airplane, if I'm not mistaken. The odds were against us up there, uh, but we went in anyway. I'm glad the captain made the right decision. Uh, the pilot's name was George Zip. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that's one of the not one of the the funniest lines in it, but that's one of the ones from Airplane. If I'm not mistaken, we've been talking a lot about Airplane lately. You know what I think I should do? I think I might do a watch along video with Airplane, just to encourage people to watch it. I, I might do that at some point. That movie is so freaking good. All right, next up. Um, where are we at? We're at Marie Seifring who writes, Hey, John and crew, love the new format. Thank you, Marie. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Concerning the question, why does the public love superheroes but hate the mutants? If the X-Men are folded in with No Way Home, well, which I don't, th I mean, I think there could be a couple of like little cameos, but I don't think they're going to be folded in with No Way Home. At any rate, if the X-Men are folded in after No Way Home, oh, oh, after No Way Home, okay. And Doctor Strange 2, after living through the blip and Wanda, the public might start to see uh, all as dangerous. Yeah, I mean, that's true too. It could be an entire shift amongst the general public in the MCU of like, you know what? Life was pretty good. Life was pretty good before Iron Man. Life was pretty good in the world before Thor showed up. I mean, once you guys started showing up, that's when aliens started invading the Earth. That's when Thanos started coming and snapping away half the population. That's when freaking Arshem the Judge, bigger than our planet, is showing up looking over us saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be back in a bit here to judge you. Like, before you guys all showed up, this stuff never happened. Now we hate you all. That could be a possibility, Marie. That could be a possibility. All right. Uh, just your average Jose writes, I went to watch Ghostbusters Afterlife, was refused because I only had half vaccination. Even then, they are not letting in until 14 days after the second vaccination. So no movies for me for three weeks. Uh, box office is going to be hurting this holiday. I understand safety. Still very annoying. Well, listen, man, I, I feel you. But the pandemic is annoying. Um, I believe the numbers right now are at like 700,000. Let me, let me just pull this up. Yeah. The total numbers right now are 767,000 Americans have died from COVID. 767,000 have died in the last year and a half from COVID. That is not to say that that isn't annoying. You got these movies coming out. You want to go see them. You got to wait. I, that It is annoying. There's no taking away from that. That's annoying. But it look, looking at the bigger picture, taking a step back and saying, yeah, okay, 
but in the grander scheme of things, it's a minor inconvenience for now that I will soon have in my rear view mirror. This inconvenience of having to wait a little bit to see it is, is going to be my rear view mirror. It still kind of sucks. You want to go see it right now. And I understand that does make it a bit annoying. It totally does. But uh, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, that's really not that bad. So I think it'll be okay. But man, I am very excited. I'm very excited for you getting to see it. I had a lot of fun with Ghostbusters Afterlife. I a lot of fun. Again, not as good as the original Ghostbusters. Not going to be in my top three or top five favorite films of the year overall. But it's definitely going to be one of those films that's like, that was a really good one that year. Like, I had a lot of fun with it. And I can't wait for you to see it, man, when you get a chance to see it. All right, thanks for sharing that, Just Your Average. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, My stupid tinfoil hat theory about Far From Home. Uh, you probably meant No Way Home. Uh, all of the major events with the characters from other Spider-Verses is actually being orchestrated by Strange. It's all a facade to teach Peter an important life lesson. Okay. I'm, you know, sometimes people throw in crazy theories. And I'll say, you know what? That could be possible. I don't think likely. That's not happening. That would be like the end of the movie coming and then the hero wakes up and goes, oh, that was all just a dream. Like if they went through this whole movie and then it just turns out, Doctor Strange then goes, well, Peter, have you learned a lesson? And Peter's sanding over the dead body of MJ and Ned on the concrete, weeping. What are you talking about, Doctor Strange? I learned a lesson. We got you. And all of a sudden, MJ pops up and Ned pops up. Ah, we were all in on a joke to teach you a lesson. So you see, Peter, you need to learn that protecting your identity and having to take responsibility. If that happened, the audiences would riot. The audiences would riot. They would burn the movie theater down. It would be anarchy in the streets. You'd have a lot of pissed off people. So no, my anonymous friend, I do not think that is even remotely possible that that's going to happen. All right, next up. Victor writes, Hey, John, I have recently watched The X-Files for the first time. Nice. Uh, only one season left. Later seasons are a bit hit and miss. That's putting it kindly. Uh, but the first couple are some of the best since fiction, uh, science science fiction drama slash thriller that I've ever seen. Have you seen it? And what do you think? Yeah, I used to watch the X-Files. I admit I never rewatched them. Like, I never went back and then rewatched the series again, but I watched the X-Files. Yeah, the show got a little rough, especially after Mulder left. Like, once Mulder left the show, and then later would appear again, but once Mulder left the show, it got kind of, I don't know, less interesting. I really, I honestly, I stopped paying attention. At that point. And I never did get around to watching the X-Files relaunch. I never did watch the X-Files relaunch. But no, man, especially those first number of seasons. The X-Files was a cultural phenomenon kind of show. Uh, I mean, not on the level of Game of Thrones or anything, but it was a cultural phenomenon kind of show. And uh, yeah, it was it was great, man. It was really great, especially when it was working well. All right, next up. Joshua Racco writes, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home ends. Credits roll. No McGuire and Garfield in the movie. Me. Yeah, but they're probably saving them for the digital release. Three months later, still no Maguire and Garfield. They're probably waiting to put them in the 30th anniversary edition. Yeah, I... Listen, as much as everybody believes Andrew and Peter are going to be in this movie, present company included, myself, the fact of the matter is it is still possible they're not. It's still possible they're not. I mean, despite the fact that I had studios call me and all that kind of stuff, I am still not 100% convinced. I'm, I'm, I'm not less than 50% convinced, but I'm not 100% convinced that those images were real. 
although we saw that thing in the trailer with Lizard getting the invisible punch, there could be other explanations other than the two other Spider-Men. That could have been Venom and Doc Ock going into battle with Spider-Man against Electro and Lizard and that. I'm not saying that's likely. It's not likely. But it is a possibility that's on the table. So, yeah, I mean, as much as none of us talk about it, the reality is there's still a chance that they're not in the film. Now, you and I obviously believe they are in the film. I've believed they're in the film for probably about four or five months now. But we don't know they're in the film. We, we feel like we know. We're going to be really surprised if they're not. But it's still possible they're not. We got to keep that in mind. All right, next up. Ordinary human bartender, Jackie Daytona writes, Hey, John, nothing grinds my gears more than a six-minute trailer that gives away too many plots and spoilers, like the Two Towers trailer showing Gandalf the White. Aren't they afraid of giving away too much? Or is there a marketing advantage here? Well, if we're talking specifically about Lord of the Rings, here's the thing. I don't think they worried too much about that because I think their belief was that a lot of people have read the Lord of the Rings or know about Lord of the Rings. And in our marketing, we need to show them moments that they've always envisioned in their heads from the books. And Gandalf the White was probably one of those moments. I mean, you couldn't hide that Ian McKellen was in the movie. Like after, fly, you fools. Like after that, okay, yeah, maybe somebody who knew nothing about Lord of the Rings would think that, okay, now Gandalf is dead. But, I mean, it was very well documented that he was there filming all the movies. He was on the IMDb. He's a, he's not just a small little surprise part of the movie. He's a significant part of that movie. And so there's just no getting around putting that in the trailer. It's like, what's the point of hiding the fact in the Titanic trailers that the boat hits an iceberg and is starting to sink? There's no point in hiding that. Like, a lot of people know it. So you might as well lean into that. And uh, so that's kind of my take on that. I mean, I'd have to give it more thought, but that's my just my initial take on that. Thank you for sharing your opinion on that ordinary human bartender. All right, next up. Dangerous D writes, Hey, John. Warner Brothers is rebooting Under Siege 4. We talked about that on our uh, on our news feed on the John Campia show earlier today. HBO Max and will be directed by Timo uh, Har Harjanto and written by Umer Alim, who wrote Kate for Netflix. I'm so excited for this remake. I hope they get actor to Steven Seagal, Casey Ryback, like Scott Adkins or John Cena thoughts. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Like We talked about it on the show today. Under Siege is something you can reboot. That's something you can reboot and could be really fun. I would prefer they get a more solid actor, but I mean, yeah, John Cena could work. Uh, I'm very curious to see how he does in his Peacekeeper series. Uh, Scott Atkins is somebody, I've never been convinced that he's a solid actor. I think he's a really good guy and a lot of fun, and he's got a lot of, he's really popular with the fans. Uh, he can clearly do action fantastic. And I don't know maybe a project like this would be the type of project that could expose him, that, that could show the world that I can do this if you give me that chance and something higher profile. So maybe it could. So I don't know. Uh, but I'm not going to say I'm excited for it. I'm not going to say I'm excited for it. All right. Next up, Matthew Denton writes, no matter how much Disney slash Sony want to keep working together, I think it eventually has to come to an end when Tom is done. Sony has shown that they will immediately want to reboot, while MCU, for the most part, will retire huge characters rather than recast. Yeah, I mean, at some point, 
at some point, that partnership's going to come to an end. At some point. I don't know if Tom eventually walking away from the role, which I do not think is going to happen within the next five years. But at some point when Tom walks away from the role, what do you do then? You're right. Sony's then going to want to reboot it. Or maybe five years from now, transition to Miles Morales or something along those lines. But you're right, Matthew. At some point, all good things, man. All good things. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, the best we can hope for is Miles or Gwen. Oh, I'm sure, I guess this is uh, Matthew. Miles or Gwen taking up the Spider Mantle in the MCU while Sony reboots Peter Parker in their own universe. Again, you're not. We are never going to see. I don't think. Campy, you should never say never. Okay, it is very unlikely that you're ever going to see a live action Spider Man being done in Sony and a different live action Spider Man movie, even if it's somebody of a different name in a Marvel film. That's not something Sony's going to allow. Sony's not going to allow Marvel to make live-action Spider-Man movies while they're trying to build, promote, and do their own IP with their own Spider-Man in their universe as well. There's just not something they're going to allow. And it's not something I think Marvel would be interested in either. So, yeah, there's that. All right, next up. Harry224 writes, Hey, John, I just watched WandaVision for the second time since its release. I do have to go back. and I do want to rewatch WandaVision. I love that show. And oh my God, I cannot get over how amazing Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are in this. Probably my favorite performances in the MCU so far. Yeah, listen. And there's a they got, I believe both of them got Emmy nominations. I believe both of them got Emmy nominations for that. I was floored. But first of all, look, we all know how good each of them can be. I think Paul Bettany, if I'm not mistaken, hold on, let me just check this. Okay, I was about to say, I think Paul Bettany once got nominated for an Academy Award. I thought he might have gotten nominated for Supporting Actor and Master and Commander with Russell Crowe, but he did not. He got nominated for an Emmy for WandaVision for Outstanding Lead, lead Actor in a Limited or Anthology Series. Um, he did get a BAFTA nomination for Master and Commander Far Side of the World. Okay, I thought he might have gotten an Academy Award nomination. But anyway, we all know how good he is. We all know how good Elizabeth Olsen is. But man, see, they both of them just crushed it in WandaVision. They were so good in that. And I, I got to go back and watch that myself, dude. All right, next up. Boris writes, one of two. Hey, John, just a thought on Spider-Man No Way Home. Do you think there's a chance of Venom, the symbiote, uh, the symbiote making contact with Peter as a host to maybe save his life or something could be a cool way to give Venom a taste and possibly want more or even to tie things in as fan service. Maybe give Venom his logo. I don't know, though. Sounds more cringy as I type this. Either way, trailer was sick. I'm going to get my Spidey action like I wanted. Great time to be a Marvel fan. Have a great day, John and crew. Well, listen, I do. Th well, listen, we don't know that Venom's going to be in this movie. We all speculate he will be because of the ending of the post credit scene of Venom 2. And yeah, Venom up till this point has not had that iconic Spider logo on his chest. Coming in contact with Peter could do that. Now, a lot of people thinking, oh, Venom's going to be part of the Sinister Six. Have you not watched the Venom movies? This Venom is not a villain. He's a hero. He sees himself as a hero. A lethal protector. And Eddie Brock would not allow them to become villains. So I don't see that happening. But yeah, coming into contact with Peter, thinking the logo is cool, donning the logo for himself, I could totally see that happening, man. I don't think that's crazy, Boris. I don't think it's crazy at all. All right. Boris also writes, sorry, John, one more thought. You send in as many thoughts as you want, Boris. Aside from Craven and possibly Ned, which I don't think will happen, do you think there's a chance of a random villain from a universe who we haven't seen in any of the previous films, maybe just a quick shot even? 
possible. I mean, look, I don't think this movie's overcrowded. Like, you look at Infinity War and Endgame, and you look at the X-Men movies and, and whatever. You can have tons of characters, all right? But there are a lot of characters. You got Electro in there. You got Lizard. You got Dr. Octopus. You've got Sandman. You got Dr. Strange. You got Spider-Man. You probably got two other Spider-Men coming. You got Venom in there. Maybe a Craven. Maybe a Morbius. Do you? Is there room in there to now introduce new characters? particularly a significant new villain. I don't know. I don't know. But again, it's impossible to say when we haven't watched the movie yet. We haven't got a sense of the pacing of the movie yet. Maybe there's tons of opportunity for that, man. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe when a new trailer drops on November 29th. That's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing a third trailer drops on November 29th, 11 days from now. All right. Josh James writes, I wonder if Sony and Disney will launch Miles Morales in this movie uh, to return to the Sony-verse with Venom, leaving Parker in the MCU so Sony continues to collect that big Disney cheddar at the and, and the free advertising for their IPs along with their own Spider-Man. Again, I don't see at all there being a possibility. I, it's possible. But I have a very hard time believing that Sony is going to want to be making live-action Spider-Mans while they're letting Marvel make live-action Spider-Mans for the world to pick which one they like better. And it's just, there's no, there's no upside. There's no upside. So I think you're going to either get live action Spider-Man, whether it's Miles or Peter in the MCU or in Sony, but I don't think you're going to see Sony putting out a live action Spider-Man movie and Marvel putting out a live action Spider-Man. I don't just don't think Sony, there's no, that doesn't make any business sense to me. I mean, Hey, look, they could surprise me totally and announce it tomorrow. Absolutely, but I just can't see that being a reality. And I don't think it's something Kevin Feige's interested in either. I don't think Kevin Feige's interested in trying to make live-action Spider-Man movies while Sony's going over making live-action Spider-Man movies. I just don't think it's something they'll do. But you never know. You never know. All right, next up. Dangerous D writes, I've been coming here for six years, and six years you've been sticking it to me. I want to know how come. Uh, You don't want to know. I want to know how come. Okay, I'm going to tell you, because you have a talent to become a good fighter. But instead, you've become a leg breaker. You're a bum. That's Mickey. I believe that's from Rocky. I could be wrong. I think it's Rocky 1 or is it Rocky 2? No, it's Rocky 1 because he was kind of working for Lone Sharks at that point. So I I think that's Rocky 1. I could be mistaken about that, but I think it's Rocky 1. All right, next up. Scott Brown writes, "Uh, Just for fun, I wanted to give my top seven favorite performances from an actor in a comic book role. Number seven, Hiddleston and Loki. Number six, uh, Shamik Moore in Spider-Verse. Number five, Snipes in Blade. Number four, Urban in Dread. Number three, Charlie Cox in Daredevil. Number two, Henry Cavill in Man of Steel. Number one, Jackman in Logan. In Logan. Man, I think you gotta have Robert Downey Jr. in there as Iron Man. I mean, he defined the character. And no Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool? Really? And I don't think you can put... I wouldn't count animated at all because that's that's not a full performance. That's an actor going into a sound booth for a day or two. I don't, I don't consider it a full performance and look, it takes a very good skill to do voice work, but I don't consider it a full performance because half of acting is emoting. It's your body language. It's how you move. It's how you like you, you carry your whole screen presence. You know, these actors who go in and do this, they, they jump, they jump into a sound booth for a couple of days, re- record some lines and then leave. So I, I don't know if I would count that one, but I think you have to include Robert Downey Jr. Like, I think there are certain... Somebody asked me once, who do you think are actors in comic book movies or comic book properties do you feel like are born to play that role? 
And the three for me are, in no particular order, are Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, and Hugh Jackman as Logan. And there are other great ones. There are other great ones. But I'm saying, like, to the level, like, they were just born to play that. Those are the three that I would put in there. All right, thanks for writing that in, Scott. Next up, Jake from Progressive writes, in the trailer, uh, Cumberbatch says, you botched the spell when you wanted everyone to forget Peter Parker's Spider-Man. First, Strange cast the spell. And second, it is odd to refer to Peter in the third person. This could only be the work of Mephisto. <laughs> Yeah, but but to be serious, Jake from State Farm, what are you wearing? Uh, khakis. Uh, to be to be serious for a second, it is funny how so many people still want to say, "Wow, that Doctor Strange is acting really weird." I don't think that's really Doctor Strange. And it's like I look at it, it's like, are you kidding me? Have you watched Doctor Strange in the other MCU movies? That's exactly how Doctor Strange talks and acts all the time. That's exactly how he acts. So anyway, but yeah, but yes, you never know. Maybe it is Mephisto. All right. Hip Hop Anonymous writes, uh, one of two. So I'm rewatching all the Spider-Man movies in preparation for No Way Home. That's actually a good exercise. The original is decent, but doesn't really hold up by today's standards. Spidey 2 is still the best, but man, Spidey 3 is still awful. Everyone in that movie is just an a-hole. Would it be too much to ask for when slash if tom hardy's venom shows up that he eat the topher grace venom ugh what an atrocity that version of the character was okay first of all hip hop i gotta disagree with you i i think the first spider-man movie does hold up it's not as good as spider-man 2 which spider-man 2 to this day i still think is one of the best comic book movies ever made it's still up in the in the top 10 discussion um but i still think the first spider-man does hold up and yes spider-man 3 not good and it's not just the Peter Parker emo, and it's not just Venom. It's just, it's not a good movie, man. It's just not a good movie. It's Sam Raimi's bad day at the office. Every director has it. Every director has it. That one was Sam Raimi's bad day at the office. But, uh, but oh my gosh. Can you imagine the cheers? Can you imagine the cheers? The pop, as we call it in the business. Can you imagine the pop in the theaters if Tom Hardy's Venom shows up and Topher Grace's Venom is there and Tommy and, uh, you know, like he says in Venom 2, fuck that guy <laughs> or whatever it is he said, and then just grabs him and eats him. Oh, my God. The theater would erupt. It would be like an on your left moment if Tom Hardy's Venom came in and ate Topher Grace's Venom. And I like I like Topher Grace. Very, don't get me wrong. It's not Topher Grace's fault. I'm just saying that I think that would get a big pop from people, man. All right, guys, with that question down, we are now done with this installment of the companion video. I think we're at least all done with all the questions that have been sent in up to today's show. So there are still more questions to go, but we'll get picked up on those when the John Campus show returns on Monday. But for now, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion videos. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this little video part of your day. Big thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions via the tip link. Number one, because it gives great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported our channel by doing it and all of us involved with the channel. Thank you guys so much for that support. All right, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.